His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both, both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole is to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Would you join me in prayer? Father, as we look to your word today, God, I pray that we would see things in it that prick us at our hearts. Father, would your word be a mirror to our soul that shows us how desperate and needy we are of you. Father, I pray that we will find solace and peace in not only things that could produce guilt in our hearts, but Father, would you remind us of your graciousness towards us, your mercy towards us, and that even when we mess up, Father, it's readily available to us and it's overflowing. God, I pray that my words would only enlighten the hearts of people by the power of your spirit. Father, I can't change hearts. I can't convince people that you are good. Father, only you can do that. So I confess that to you, Father, that I stand here helpless. I stand here needy that if you were to anything good were to happen today, God, it would not be in anything that I could boast in. But, Father, it would be because of your spirit and of the power of your word. Be with us this day as we see you more clearly. And I pray that you would humble our hearts to receive all that you have for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Those of you who have known me for some time now probably know that I was born in Dahran, Saudi Arabia. Yes, Saudi Arabia. If you don't know where that is, that's on the east side of Africa over in the Middle East. Both my parents are originally from Detroit, Michigan. But my dad spent most of his career working there, so much of our childhood was spent over there in Saudi Arabia. Going up there was great because the beach was only a mile away from us. I was able to get exposure to different cultures and different cuisines. But what was greatest about living there and what shaped my experience there was the opportunities that I had to travel across the world playing baseball. I started playing baseball at the age of six, and from a very early age, I fell in love with the game. I knew that I wanted to be a professional baseball player, and so my parents put me in the position to pursue that very dream. At 12, I played in the Little League World Series, and throughout high school, I would play varsity ball during the school year and would travel throughout Europe during the summer. I watched baseball and I competed in baseball and I studied it and I lived baseball until finally my desire waned away. 
It's, un- it's funny how for those of us who play competitive sports growing up, how though our body changes, our mentality and our minds don't. A couple years back, a friend of mine had asked me to compete in a softball league, softball league that he was a part of. Number one, you know you're getting old when your friends ask you to compete in a softball league and not a baseball league. I probably hadn't picked up the ball or bat in a few years, but I was excited. I was elated at the opportunity to finally compete again. I had waited my really the last 10 years to get back on that field. And at our first game, the moment that I rushed on the field, I, all those feelings and emotions came back within an instant. A quick side note is that I'm not one of those guys that just play sports just to play it. If I'm going to play, I'm going to play to win. I'm going to play to compete. I'm going to be the best on that field. As we played and as we moved into our first game, we ended up winning, but a couple lessons I learned really quickly. One, that I was getting old. I didn't have the same reflexes and agility that I once had at a young age. I had also learned that the habits that I had learned and the patterns of behavior and, and reflexes that I had, they didn't really go away. As I played that game and balls were hit to me, I knew that if a ball was hit over my head that I needed to jump as high as I could in order to catch it. I knew that if a ball was hit to the left of me or to the right of me that I needed to dive and stop the ball to do everything that I could in order to make the play. Well, though my mind was telling me yes, my body was telling me it no. <laughs> the reality was those old habits and reflexes, again, had not gone away, but they had, were lying dormant. They were waiting for the right opportunity to present itself again. If I was going to continue to play, I was going to have to have a change in my perspective. I would have to shift my thinking from playing to win or to be the best to now just playing to get a good workout or to have fun with my friends. The truth is that old habits are hard to break without a change in perspective. You see, we all have old habits and behaviors. We all grew up being shaped a certain way, whether by our parents or by our friends, from our teachers or from the music that we listened to or the TV shows that we watched. We have been conditioned to react to life a certain way, and some habits are just impossible to break in our own strength. Last week we saw in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that Satan, the world, and our flesh at one time has shaped all of our habits and our patterns. But God was gracious and merciful in that he saved us and he gave us purpose, purpose to do good works that would bring him glory. The question to be answered, though, is does God save us just to be in right relationship with himself? Or is there some greater purpose? I believe Paul argues the latter in that God has not only called us into a rich relationship with himself, but also his people. But what happens when these past behaviors, these patterns, these habits creep in or bleed into our relationships with one another as believers? We live in a day and time where 
differences divide us. I'm sure most of us can recall growing up a time where we felt discriminated against or were picked on for how we looked or how we talked or how we acted or how we dressed. That pain, if you can remember that pain, that pain sent us into a place where we longed to find acceptance and belonging, where we didn't have to put on a show any longer or pretend to be like something we weren't in order to be accepted by others. Chances are you found this solace amongst people who are very similar to you. People that shared a lot of the same interests and similar personality types. The downfall to this way of thinking is that in an effort to attach ourselves to those who are like us, we discard those who are different from us. Can you imagine a world full of just extroverts? A world where everyone is trying to be heard and no one is trying to listen. Can you imagine a world full of people who have all of your strengths and all of your weaknesses? If we're honest, this would be a miserable existence for us all. I'm thankful that God knows better than we do and that he made it possible for us to be both diverse and yet unified as the body of Christ. Paul in the text today, I believe, shows us how to live in unity even in the midst of Great diversity. And this leads us to our first point, which is that remembering our past produces greater appreciation of our present. Look with me in verse 11 as we begin this section of scripture. Paul starts by saying, therefore, remember. Let's stop here. Notice Paul starts this portion of the text with a command and not a suggestion. He's not saying, hey, I think this might be something worthy for you to pay attention to. He's not saying, man, if you have the time, jot this down and come back to it later. No, he's saying, remember this. I need you to pay careful attention to what I'm about to say now. I need you to stop what you're doing and put your listening ears on because I don't want you to miss this. This isn't some compelling argument by Paul to say, I want you to just commit it to memory. But no, Paul wants us to really feel this. He wants us to take a walk down memory lane and recognize and feel the pain of what it used to be like being disconnected from our God and his people. But why, though? Why does he put so much emphasis on remembering Probably because he knows that time has a way of gradually easing us into a state of forgetfulness. After making this point, he continues on with what they should remember. Remember, and he says that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. In short, Paul is saying, remember, guys, you were the ones born on the wrong side of the tracks. 
You were the ones considered scum and who were called thugs by the media when you did something wrong. And you were called these things by the privileged, the Jews, the ones who thought they had it all together. They were the ones who lived in the nicer neighborhoods on that part of town and who had all the great school systems. Yeah, you were called thugs by those guys. Remember, remember also that you had no favor with God and had none of the privilege that God, privileges that God had given the Jews. You were hopeless and without God. Come on, guys, just know it was really, really, really bleak for y'all. I think it would be safe to say that this divide was really of an epic proportion in the sense that it was racial, it was cultural, and it was, was religious. Racial because being born a Gentile meant that you didn't have the royal blood flowing through your veins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were the chosen ones of God. And, but you, you had the blood of Ishmael, a bastard child. And you had the blood of Esau, someone who sold their birthright for a bowl of soup. It was cultural because the Jews had laws and restrictions which meant that, which intended to distance the Gentiles, Gentile nations, in hopes of showing off the holiness of God. The Jews ate certain things that the Gentiles didn't. They wore certain clothing that the Gentiles would have nothing to do with. And they listened to certain songs on the radio, like 104.7 or 102.5, Christian stations. This divide was religious in that within the temple, there was seen a 14, or there was seen in verse 14, a dividing wall of hostility, which was a standing symbol that you didn't belong This temple on the main level consisted of three courts, one for priests and one for Israeli men and one for Israeli women. If you were to travel down off the platform, you would have to go five more steps and then you would be met with a concrete wall. Then you would have to go 14 more steps to another wall, which was the outer court or the court of Gentiles. This court ran around the entire temple and its inner courts. And from any part of this, Gentiles could look up and view the temple. This would be the equivalent of, for those who have lived on this side of town, if you were to travel down Joseph e., uh, to the intersection of Joseph E. Lowry and Joseph E. Boone, there's a place where you can see the city lights as if they're literally within arm's reach. At that point, the city would tell you, do not pass over this point. You were within arm's distance, yet you could not partake or experience the city in the same way that others, others could. The Jews took it even a step further in that all plastered all around this surrounding wall included warning notices that read in effect, not trespassers will be prosecuted, but trespassers will be executed. Everywhere they went, even in religious settings, there were reminders that there were insiders and there were outsiders. These two groups hated one another. 
and would permanently erase each other from the face of the earth if they could. I want us to recognize where I feel like the text points out two problems that are brought to our attention here. One of a vertical nature in that there's a separation or divide between us and God. And then Paul takes it further in that now there's a horizontal gap. There's a distance between us and God's people. And years of oppression had done none the other but further that distance. However, something happens. Move me to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God through Christ now makes the impossible possible. The gap that existed or previously existed between the two had now been bridged together. It had been fused together to no longer be two separate parts, but now one part at the center of it, Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentile Christians were now in the same church, forced to interact with each other, forced to mix and mingle. You can probably assume that putting people in the same room doesn't guarantee that they're going to like each other. We can imagine probably the Gentiles only inviting other Gentiles to their weddings and to their birthday parties and to other celebrations that really meant were places for the entire family. We can imagine the gossip and the slander that took place in knowing that all my life, my experiences had shaped me to hate this group of people. To the Jews, the Gentiles were evil, and to the Gentiles, the Jews were evil. This command for us to remember our past would only serve to help them recognize the common ground that they now both had in Christ. The beauty of the gospel is that it's the ultimate equalizer. It levels the playing field for each and every one of us. For those who are far off, it gives us opportunity to now be brought near. And for those who think that we are near, it exposes the reality that we're actually far away. This gospel is for everyone. Those who grew up in the church and those who grew up in the streets. Those who are wealthy and for those who are poor. Those who are black and for those who are white. It calls all men to the same challenge. That we will repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that we will confess him as our savior. I've been out of school for 10 years now. When I look back at my past, I have some regrets of my college experience. The most notable one being how judgmental judgmental and how self-righteous I was towards those who weren't like me. I didn't grow up in the church, but when I got saved, I was all in. I knew that Jesus had what Jesus had done for me, and I wanted to make that known to everybody. As the years went by, though, and as my knowledge for God increases, I recognized that it didn't produce compassion for those who weren't like me, but it produced pride. It produced an arrogance. It muddled my memory that the very people that I used to hang with were now lesser than me because I knew Christ. 
I'm thankful that God didn't treat me like I was treating others. I'm thankful that God drew near to me and came close to me. He came up close to my filth and my scum and showed me graciously that there was a better way. He extended grace when I deserved his wrath. And this is what he offers to each and every one of us today. It's so easy to let pride distance us ourselves from the very people God has called us to love. Remembering our past helps us appreciate our presence because it shows us we're not that different from one another than we thought ourselves to be. It's in viewing one another through the lens of the gospel that allows us to recognize the work that Christ has not only done in my life, but in the life of others. And this leads us to our second point today. Verse 14 reads, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far and peace to those who were near for through him. We both have access to the father. Again, we must recognize the work that Christ has done in both our lives and others. Hate is both a dangerous and a deceptive emotion. Webster defines hatred as an intense hostility and aversion, usually deriving from fear, anger, or sense of injury. Sometimes hate can be cleanly, uh, clearly seen in others. And other times it's a little harder to recognize. Hate often is recognizable because it's openly expressed through words and through actions. My friends call me a food snob because I'm quick to criticize a meal when I feel like it's lacked in its execution. Very true, very true. When I'm asked if something is good or not, usually the amount of criticism I give is a key indicator that I'm displeased with my meal. My friends know that you never have to guess how I'm feeling about a meal because I'll tell you whether I like it or not. Hate, however, is a little harder to recognize at times. It's not as open. It's not as clear to the eye. It's this way because it leaves some room for interpretation. Like when you go into a room full of people and no one acknowledges your presence or even greets you. Often you're left wondering, does nobody in here like me? Or did they just not see me come in? Let me try that again. Let me come back into the room. Or when you repeatedly text someone over and over and over again and they never respond. But when you see that person, they say, oh, I had left my phone at home or, oh, I had gotten a, good, a new number. Really, every time I text you, you got a new number. There's some room for interpretation. I think the Bible would agree with the definition mentioned above by Webster. However, I think it takes it one step further. John 13, 34 through 35 says a, a new command I give to you that you would love one another as I have loved you. 
so love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I think the Bible goes as far based off of God's definition of and command for us to love to say that one of the greatest forms of hatred is to withhold our love from those who are deserving of it. The reason for it being that it is not only assault on God, but others. An assault on God because it misrepresents his love by putting limitations to it, by putting conditions on it. If you perform for me, then you can get this. If you don't, I'm going to take it back. It's an assault on man because now we've made it impossible for people to see how good and gracious this loving God is and the type of love that he offers to both you and I. Hatred. If we look at this text, we'll see all the things that Christ achieved in shedding his blood so that we could have unity with one another. For he became our peace. He destroyed the barriers existing between us. He abolished the man-made standards that separated us from them, Jew and Gentile. On that cross, Christ would bear all of our bigotry and all of our hatred and all of our prejudice. All of our hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile and died for it. Solely so that we could have peace with both God and his people. We have tried to fix hatred within our hearts. And many times have fallen short. We've done this through forcing integration in schools and churches. If we can just get everyone in the same room, that somehow that would undo the generations of after generations of Social conflict and hatred within our hearts. Just because you get a bunch of different people in the same room doesn't mean that they are united, nor do they agree. We've done this through legislation mandating that the Confederate flag come down. Though this is a good start because it removes a standing symbol of hatred. Of oppression it still doesn't alleviate the hate that exists in the very people who want to raise it themselves. All of these things only deal with the symptoms. All of our attempts only deal with the symptoms. No one has been able to figure out exactly how to fix our hatred that lies within our hearts. Christ, however, accomplishes what no man could in that he can deal with the heart. He has the power to take a hardened heart and now soften it and make it love those who it once hated. He has the power to cause us to embrace those who we had distaste for all of our lives. This unity that Christ has made possible for us is made available to us as brothers and sisters in Christ, and this was his intent all along. Verse 15 says, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. It's good to know that God is not only aware of our problems, but he also has solutions to fix it. 
That he doesn't just leave us in our condition of brokenness and lostness, but that he enters into it with a solution, with an answer to the problem. God's purpose is to create a people where their faith trumps the color of their skin and their ethnicity, where their faith trumps both the color of their skin, their ethnicity, and their socioeconomic statuses or political positions. The gospel proclaims that if you're looking for peace, there's only one way to find it. This peace he offers isn't merely the ceasing of beef or opposition, but it's a holistic peace. It's a shalom. It deals with the entire man and all of our problems and all of our issues. And it can only be found in God's presence. The beauty of this picture that Paul is creating is that now it makes it possible through Christ's work that we all can have access to God. This is worth celebrating because now we can celebrate the lens through which God went in order to make this all possible, not just for myself, but for you and for him and for her. That the things that divide us now pale in comparison to how beautiful God is and how much he's done and that he gave his son to die for our sins. People are valuable not because of what they can do for us, but they're valuable in the fact that God created them and that he was willing to die for them. But what hope really is there? A lot of this can sound really ethereal. It can sound really pragmatic or it can sound as if it's, I hear what you're saying, but I've never really seen a picture of that, God. The good news is that God ends, leaves us with the picture of what's to come and assures us of the process that's going on right here and now. It's this process that provides us the fuel needed to embrace where we are now and anticipate where we're going, which leads us to our third and final point. We must embrace where we are in anticipation of where we're going. As Paul comes to a close, he deems it necessary to remind us of our place in God's family. He reads, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. As a result of all that Christ has done, We are no longer strangers, but members of the same family. He says, you will now carry my last name and receive all of the benefits as if you were always belonging to me. He reiterates that Jesus is the glue which binds us all together, but he doesn't just bind us, but he holds us there. There's a permanency there. He's going to keep us there. One of my favorite quotes from Pastor John is that the gospel doesn't just get us back to square one, but it gives us a better future than the one that we lost. God not only gives us himself, but he gives us his family. And this family is the church. He gives mothers to the motherless and fathers to the fatherless. He repairs our brokenness, but by providing us with people. 
It's within this family that we can completely be open and free because God has supplied us with all of the love and acceptance that we long for all of our lives. This is what God offers to us. This is what God brings us into as his children. Let's continue reading. Verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, too, in him, in him you, too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a beautiful picture this is to see a temple being constructed. A temple being constructed of different color bricks, symbolizing different color people. People from all walks of life, brick after brick after brick being laid that eventually will lead to this structure that God says my dwelling will be there. This will happen. It's not something that we need to question. It's not something that we need to doubt. God promises that this will happen. And though it's shaky at times for those who have been in the church and have been hurt by and have really only seen the same thing that they see out there, which is that walls are erected based off of how different we are. For those of us out there who have experienced that there's hope. That was never God's intent. And that though us as Christians will fail and though us as Christians will mess up. God promises that eventually we'll see a picture. We'll see a grand scheme of things. We'll see God and we'll know that God is at work in ensuring that our diversity unites us and doesn't divide us. I'm left with a picture that we see in Revelation 7, 9 through 10 that reads, after this, I looked And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and tongue and people and all standing before the throne and before the lamb. There were they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Our heart as a church is to. Come to the, our heart in coming to this neighborhood was that God would establish us as cornerstone as a tangible means through which the bridges or the gaps between rich and poor and black and white and those who are educated and uneducated, that this would be a place where you could find acceptance and you can find that peace that God talks about in Scripture. By no means do we declare that we are perfect. By no means do we declare that all of your needs will be met here in this church, but what we do promise is that we will fight to remain unified because of the work that Christ has done in our lives. It's easy for us to look at one another and see our differences. It's better to look at one another and see what Christ has done. Cornerstone, my prayer today is that as we hear these words, would they not bounce off of our minds as though we've somehow grasped this or we've somehow gotten this? This is going to take work. 
It's hard at times. But the beauty of it is that as we struggle with one another, that we don't have to lean on our own power, but that we can depend on the power that Christ has for us. Let us pray. Father, your word is so true, and we thank you that we're left with a picture of the beauty of a family united because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, would you establish us as a church filled with different shades and colors of people, but with the thing that unites us would be that we celebrate and we rejoice in the work that Christ has done in each and every one of our lives. There's so many things that can divide us, Lord. There's so many things that we can pick at and focus on, God. But I pray that our attention would be on seeing you and seeing the work that you've done in each and every one of our lives. Father, I pray for those who may not know you this day, God. Father, I pray that they would not leave here without inquiring more about how can I know this God who offers this peace and how can I get connected with his family. Father, it's only through your son, Jesus Christ, by which anyone can have relationship with God or your people. So I pray that this day, Father, you would move mightily in all of our hearts and that you would produce fruit which only you could take the credit for. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.